you can't help but want to be a part of something that's so good. Sandy, how long have you been working with Blockbuster yourself? 16 wonderful years. Well, why haven't you jumped ship to like Netflix or <laughs> to someone? Why are you so loyal to Blockbuster? Uh, you know what? It's the people and the community. I worked for a corporation before this. You know, I was a number. Who owns the entire brand? Who owns the entire Blockbuster so, brand? The brand is actually owned by Dish Network. What is Dish's plan with Blockbuster? I mean, they bought them out of bankruptcy. I remember when somebody was talking about this vending machine that kicks out DVDs. Oh, nobody's ever going to want to do that. And then next thing we knew, Redbox was everywhere. Today, everybody kind of uh, is hoping there's a resurrection with uh, Blockbuster. Yeah. It's easy for me to sit back down and go, oh, they should have done this, they should have done that. They really thought that what they had was good and it wasn't going to need to go. So I'm like, okay, what can we do that Netflix can't do? Well, we can give that personal touch to people. It becomes problematic when you're doing everything yourself and they're not coming out with anything for that 10% you're paying. The nostalgia is wonderful. The only thing that's going to keep the doors open is our local community. And we need to remember that. If I lose that attention to my local customers, we're not going to be here. So I want you to think about a company called Blockbuster, multi-billion dollar company from 1985. They start their first store in Dallas, Texas. And in 2004, 2005, 9,000 stores, 80,000 something employees, they're crushing it. And then all of a sudden, Blockbuster breaks my heart, goes out of business because every Friday night I used to go rent movies at Blockbuster. And today's guest is a legendary guest. It's Sandy Harding, who is the last surviving Blockbuster store manager in the world. So the song I'm a Survivor was written and made and produced just for her. Sandy, thank you for being a guest on Valuetainment. Oh, thank you. That was quite an introduction. Thank you very much. And by the way, just so everybody knows, are you at the store right now? I am at the store. I'm in my office, which is cluttered with old stuff behind me. You can see crates of VHS and games and all kinds of old signage. It's just crowded full of stuff. Now, you know, everybody's got their own Blockbuster store. You know, for me, when I think about <laughs> Blockbuster, I think about a certain girlfriend you were dating at the time. I think about, you know, my dad and I would go get movies and we'd watch them. I think about the waiting outside the glass and waiting for people to come and return and you wanted to jump in and grab, I don't know if you know, obviously you've been around for a while. So you know that yep. you would sit and say, are you returning this movie? Are you, I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, John, I got it. Yeah, no problem. I mean, all this stuff that you experience, and, uh, but uh, you, the memories go all the way back. But for people that don't know your story, Sandy, how long have you been working with Blockbuster yourself? So I celebrated my 16 years uh, last month. So I started actually in 2004. Um, I opened up a location for Kid and Debbie and was a store manager. Um, so yeah, 16 wonderful years and about six months, it was a different location than this one. Got about it. Six months after uh, we opened that store, I transferred to this store as the, at the time I was the co-general manager. There was two of us and we had five stores um, and we divided up the, the responsibilities. So I did the payroll personnel kind of stuff. And she, uh, Melissa did all the movie orders and the candy orders, you know, the, the other stuff behind the scenes. Um, and that lasted for a couple of years together. And then she left and then I took over everything. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's been a whirlwind adventure ever since I started. Why, why are you still around though? I mean, you went from awful. Why haven't you jumped ship to my Netflix or <laughs> to someone? Why are you so loyal to Blockbuster? Uh, you know what? It's the people and the community. Um, 100%. You know, I worked for a corporation before this. Um, and, uh, you know, I was a number 
And I did, you know, the, the, I was a training manager and I went around and I traveled and I did stuff. And I, I love the company. I love the people I worked with. Never thought in a million years I'd ever work for a mom and pop for a small business, which I know the last thing people think of when they hear Blockbuster is mom and pop. Um, you know, got the famous how Blockbuster used to close all the mom and pop shops. Um, and that irony has not been lost on us as well that we survived all of that. But, you know, I, I needed a part time job out of the house, away from my three young sons. I was going crazy and bonkers looking for that. Um, when I talked to Melissa um, and said, hey, can I have a, can I get a part-time job? I'd known her for years. She and I were good friends. Um, and she said, well, actually we're opening up a location. We need a store manager. And I'm like, oh man, I really only want to work about 20 hours a week. Um, but anyway, that's how my story began. I came in, opened up that location and just have been going since then. And Ken and Debbie are phenomenal people. They take really good care of us. They really have embraced kind of my customer service and employee philosophy um, has really been just right in sync with theirs. Um, and it's been so nice to work for somebody who can appreciate people as much as I do and gives me the freedom to really, you know, treat this like my home. And that's exactly what it has been for the last 16 years. Now, now you, who did you say owns the company now? Um, Ken and Debbie Tischer. Um, they have owned it. This is actually our 20th year as a blockbuster and our 30th year as a company. So 2020 was supposed to be big celebrations for us. But as everybody in the world knows, you know, all celebrations were kind of put on pause. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, they've been in business for a long time uh, with the video stores. So. Now, do they own the, who owns the entire brand? Who owns the entire Blockbuster so, brand? Yeah, the brand is actually owned by Dish Network. So okay. they're the ones that acquired Blockbuster in bankruptcy. And, you know, at the time when they did that, we were a franchise. And in lieu of our franchise agreement, we signed licensing agreements with them. And we've just been signing that every year um, since Oh, geez, 2014, I think is when they finally closed the last store or 2015. I'm terrible with dates. I should know these like the back of my hand. But, you know, it was kind of a uh, kind of messy situation for us because when they were closing down corporate stores, you know, obviously we're franchises. So we really didn't know that was coming. Um, I can remember when they announced that they were closing stores. We were actually we had actually closed one of our locations um, because it now is a parking lot for a Ross Dress for Less, uh, another store that moved into the mall and our lease was up and. So we, we were out and they were in. Um, and so I know that we were actually um, moving the sign from that location to another location. And that, um, sorry, people okay. come in and don't know I'm doing an interview. Uh, but anyway, so we were moving the sign from that location to a different one and we didn't have our sign in our building. And so we had people who did not know we were still open and they were panicking thinking that we closed because Blockbuster had just announced it. And so we were trying to convince people. Anyway, it was terrible timing for us for that particular location. Um, and that's, you know, we got the word the same time everybody else did. And so it was kind of a lot of chaos during um, that time. And it was really hard for franchise owners. You know, we were able to stay open, but we had to combat that national media that kept saying that we were all closing and trying to explain over and over again that, no, you're a franchise, we're locally owned, we're right here in town, we're not closing, we're not going anywhere. Um, and it was kind of a struggle for a while. Now, what have you witnessed happen from 04 till today? Because I'm assuming when you're when you're part of a brand like that today, everybody kind of uh, is hoping there's a resurrection with uh, Blockbuster. Yeah. But Blockbuster's gone through the phase of, man, we hope they get you know Netflix comes and does something else, and then oh my gosh, I don't want them to go out of business. Wait a minute, they're out of business. Oh my goodness, they're not there anymore. Yeah. What have you seen happen with, from 04? Because the numbers I looked at, the revenue, best revenue year, I believe for Blockbuster was 05. 
yeah. uh, expansion wise was 04, but revenues 05. So you, you've been at the peak when it was, when you guys were crushing it. What have you seen happen from 04 till today? You know, a lot of things, because you're right. I started in the peak of it. I mean, even for our locations, you know, these stores have always done really well, which is why we're still here. Um, but even for us, I mean, I saw, you know, an 04 and 05 going to, you know, franchise conventions in Dallas, Texas, where, you know, it's all started um, until right now with being the last store. It, it has just been just a crazy roller coaster. And, I you know, watching, you know, I came from, I was an outsider. So I had only been with a company, um, for a year, I think, I don't even know if I had been here an entire year before I went to my first franchise convention and just watching the old school, you know, um, it was just amazing to me because I was listening to a bunch of guys talking about the business. And I remember when somebody was talking about this vending machine that kicks out DVDs. And I remember them talking about that during the convention and thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. They're like, oh, nobody's ever gonna wanna do that. And then next thing we knew Redbox was everywhere. Um, I remember them talking about the, you know, mail service and how they were going to be, you know, shipping movies home to customers, just kind of like Netflix was doing. And, and they were starting to kind of see that Netflix was going to be a player in all of this. Um, but they really didn't appreciate that they were kind of behind the eight ball, I guess you want to say, because they really didn't jump into it when they should have. And that's, you know, I don't want to play the, you know, the armchair quarterback or whatever and try to second guess because I, I certainly wasn't a part of all those decisions. And it's easy for me to sit back down and go, oh, they should have done this. They should have done that. But, you know, I think a, a, in a lot of ways, they really thought that what they had was good and it wasn't going to need to go anywhere. That, and they really underappreciated the fact that people love new. They love, I mean, we're Americans. I mean, you know, we, we like the newest toy, the more expensive iPhone. I it's mean, true. as soon as the new iPhone drops, we're out there trying to buy it. I mean, yep. that's what, that's what society is like. And, and they really underappreciated that and didn't realize mm -hmm. that they have to change. They have to adapt in order to stay. Now, um, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. And I was going to say the irony of that though, is that I say those things, but yet we, we haven't increased our prices since I started. We haven't really changed other than selling merchandise. Now, you know, we've adapted to our customers needs, which I think was the piece that was missing for Blockbuster. They just kept doing their same thing, um, you know, and they had the late fees. So when I started in August of 04, we still had late fees. When I opened up our location in December of 04, that was the end of late fees program, which was a nightmare. And it was, it was horrible. And I, I understood what they wanted to do, you know, which was tell people, Hey, you know, we're not going to have late fees anymore. Come in, rent movies. But unfortunately the reality of it was, is you took all these great customers that we had and you made them all angry because now when they come in on Friday and Saturday, there's no movies on the shelf because all your bad customers wow. kicked them out and kept them. So, wow. you know, we used to have the guarantee in stock that went away with the end of late fees program. So now customers were coming and going, well, can I get a guarantee in stock? And we're like, no, sorry, we can't guarantee it now because we don't have late fees and we don't have a return time. I mean, we have return times, but we can't, you know, guarantee those movies are going oh back on the shelf. Anyway, it became, it became a mess. And I think that, you know, they really wanted to do something, but I, I, I mean, I know that uh, the documentary, for example, um, that we have about the store that's coming out and about Blockbuster and us being the last one talks a little bit about that and about, um, you know, they talked to somebody who was like, you know, we went from, you know, having 
you know, the, a large revenue to literally cutting that revenue down by like three quarters or something crazy. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. dollar amount that they talk about that we lost or that Blockbuster corporate lost during that time frame was what astronomical. And I understand they were trying to do something positive for customers, but as a company, you, you still have to be in business. So, I mean, they probably should have taken a, a little bit harder look at that. They also probably should have listened to Red Hastings when he was in there talking about us buying Blockbuster too, or buying Netflix too. So 50 million, yeah. yeah. By the way, you're very intuitive. What you just said right there, because our audience is a lot of our audience are entrepreneurs. You just said, you know, by getting rid of late fees, that means if me, if I had to bring it back to you in three days or seven days, now I can take five weeks and it's sitting there. But that means you're not able to re-rent that to somebody else. So if you only have 40 okay. of those movies. And those 40 movies are out there and it's $4 a pop. That's $160 that's sitting there that I can't make money on it. So instead of trying to win over my existing customers, I try to please my unhappy customers. And I even ended up losing my loyal ones. That's a brilliant uh, lesson for any business person to take away. Well, and we, um, as a, as our franchise, because we're franchisers, so we weren't obligated to go to the end of late fees program. However, with a national campaign, how could you not? Yeah, that we, commercial, be, it was a big commercial that they did. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it would be incredibly difficult for us not to be a part of yeah. that. So, and of course, again, I wasn't a part of that decision because I just, you know, I'd only been with the company less than six months. So that was something that Kid and Debbie had to really think about. But I understand that, you know, there wasn't anything else we could do. Um, by 05, we had seen the writing on the wall and watched how this was a, a total mess and nightmare. We switched. We went back. And when we went back, we went back to a per diem thing. So when a customer, you know, we have our our late fees um, that are different. So back in the past, you know, you didn't return that movie after three days, it automatically charged you for a full rental period again. Yeah. And that was a lot of things that customers that. were really upset about because the next thing they know, they had a movie that was, you know, 10 days late and they owed $30 in, in late. Mm-hmm. Like that's just crazy. So we didn't do that. When we did it, we were like, okay, we are going to charge a dollar a day for every day that they're late. We're going to charge 50 cents a day for the older ones for every day they're late. So we tried to go to something that was more reasonable that our customers would still have to be responsible to get the movies back, but yet it wasn't going to break the bank and they weren't going to, you know, go into debt to Blockbuster or to us. And of course, you know, it's all about customer service. And I know I would have employees that would come to work for us that work for corporate stores and they were much stricter about taking fees off for customer, much stricter about, you know, working with people. Whereas a franchise, we're like, oh no, first time you've had late fees, absolutely, let's take it off, let's educate you, let's let's uh, make you aware of how this system works, so that the next time you come in, oh, you forgot again, we'll cut them in half for you, and then the next time we're like, okay, we've we've done all these things now, now you know, so now you got to start being responsible, to get your movies back. So I mean, from a customer service standpoint, you've got to get your customers to that point where they get it, they understand it, they're responsible for it, and everybody's happy. Um, I mean, you're still going to have people take advantage of the system, but no question about it. You've got to, you got to work with people in a, in a more positive way that benefits the business. And and what do they say? You know, you, you tick off one, one customer and they tell 10, you make one customer happy. They tell two. I mean, it's like, you've got to, you got to kind of win that back and keep people from leaving your door unhappy. So that is so true. And and it's a be back business, meaning, you know, when I say be back, you're winning me over like, you know, you have some customers today that just don't like Netflix. So maybe it is the nostalgic, you know, feeling of let me go over here and then I kind of want to go through the experience. Let's go walk the aisles. Let's see what's over here. There was something unique about it. But, you know, going back to what you said when you went to the franchisee 
conventions. Back in the days, I think the blockbuster franchise fee was somewhere between $150,000 to $700,000. It was a big number. You weren't paying a small number. You could end up paying $700,000 to get the whole thing going. When you went to the conventions at the time and Netflix is coming out and all these other guys were coming out, did you hear the leaders at the top, you know, downplay that there's no way that's going to work? Did you hear them bring up Netflix and other competitors regularly? Or was there more people are never going to get away from renting from a movie, you know, renting from a store like ours. We're always going to be in business. What did you hear from the messenger at the top? Now, obviously I'm saying this, I know you are now working for Blockbuster's franchisee with, with Ken and Debbie and Dish owns you. So it's not like you're calling out your existing CEOs. No. I'm just trying to find out like what it was like when you went to the conventions. So there was, you know, when I first started going to conventions, I, I was, like I said, new. I mean, I had only been with the company for less than a year. So a lot of this stuff was pretty new to me. And, and I was really just dumbfounded by the, the kind of schmoozing, I guess you want to call it. It was more that the corporate world would come in and, oh yeah, we're franchise owners. Let's go in there and, and kind of, you know, they weren't really giving us a lot of information or leastwise for me, the average franchisee. Now, I don't know, you know, we had the ABF, which was our franchise business consultants. They were, you know, a big group. And I know Kim was involved in that at one point. Um, and I know that they probably had better communication with the corporate blockbuster higher ups than we did as just the franchisee sitting at the table in the convention room. But um, from what I saw was just a lot more of them trying to you know, pat us on the back. Hey, you guys are all doing a good job, you know, kind of give us a lot of uh, lip service. I mean, I guess there's no other, you know, positive way to say it. I mean, that's basically what it felt like. And it didn't necessarily feel like they were taking all of those things seriously to us. It's like you bring up a, a conversation. It's like, oh, well, we're doing this, this, and this. And of course, everything is all positive. There wasn't, you know, you've been in, in conference meetings before. Many. With different businesses. And you know how it goes. I don't want to hear what positive things. I want to see action. I want to see results. And it's like, you can give me all the lip service you want. You can tell me how wonderful it's going to be, but if I don't actually see results and I'm not getting any answers, then you're just, you're just giving me words coming out of your mouth to make me happy because I'm here for three days and then I'm going back home. And it's like, you know, I want to see a real plan of what we're going to do as a result of this, you know, our numbers were starting to go down and, and really here at our locations, we were, um, we had the benefit of not having any corporate stores around us. And we had a Hollywood video here in town and we had some mom and pops, but you know, we, um, we had four stores here at Ben. So we definitely had, you know, the bigger uh, market, I guess you want to say, or we had mm -hmm. the, you know, the bigger piece of the pie um, here in town. And so we probably didn't feel the effects that some of the bigger towns felt, you know, um, in Texas and different places where they had lots of corporate owned blockbusters and lots of franchise owners. So, I mean, we had, you know, good producing stores and, and we made good money here at the time, but we still were feeling the effects of having Redbox across the street. We were still feeling the effects of Netflix. God. We were still hearing customers coming in going, oh, you work at Blockbuster, Blockbuster's old news. You know, I, I remember now when I walk into Costco, people see me and recognize me from Blockbuster, they're like super excited and, oh my God, you work at the coolest place ever. I remember when I go into block or into Costco and different places and not want to tell people I worked at Blockbuster because <laughs> I didn't want to hear about how negative it was and how, you I know, bet. we're all going out of business. So, I mean, it just was very frustrating for me being a newcomer and seeing that, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening to the same old, same old that you're telling me every time. I don't see results and I don't understand why you people aren't taking this more seriously. And, and, you know, the franchise owners, I could see 
the frustration on their faces, the actual owners. I, I was a manager and I was there and I was there more to, you know, find out what the new, you know, POP, which is what they called it, which was the new, what, what the stores are going to look like, you know, what are we going to do for Christmas and what kind of movies are coming out? I mean, I was more focused on that, but I also had worked in business long enough to watch the other things and the franchise owners getting really frustrated because they weren't getting the kind of the answers that they were looking for. They weren't getting the support and the help and, um, you know, and they were paying an enormous amount of fees. I mean, the, the amount of money that we were paying to Blockbuster every month was, was a good chunk of money to not be getting, you know, the, the answers. So what was the number? Um, Do you know, was it 10% or was it more like 6%? You know, um, I, I think it was closer to 10, but I don't know because uh, okay. at the time, remember I That's was doing a big number. Yeah, I was doing the payroll and personnel stuff, and I wasn't doing the financial stuff. So that'd be more of a question for Ken. But I know it was not—it was not cheap. I mean, okay. we were definitely paying them a good chunk, and um, and definitely didn't feel like we were getting our bang for a buck, kind of a thing. That's um, the thing. That's the thing with franchisee. People don't mind paying the money yeah. if the company at the top is doing their part. It becomes problematic when you're doing everything yourself, and they're not coming out with anything for that ten percent you're paying. It can be very frustrating. What what's kept you around? Is it are you more around because Ken and Debbie have become more family to you? Are you more around because of the, you know, you just love what the company and the story is all about? Or is it just your personality? You're loyal, you stick around, and you just kind of make it work until, you know, they decide to shut down. Which one of the reasons is why you're still around 16 Probably a little later? bit of all three. Okay. I think that I am a very loyal person, and and Ken will tell you that I'm loyal to my own detriment, that I tend to, to you know, work the 60-hour week, you know, even though I'm salary. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you can't help but want to be a part of something that's so good. Um, you know, we're very community focused and I'm a part of something that's not just good for, for me, but it's good for all of us. And, you know, we just had the Airbnb event last weekend, which was a lot of fun, um, but it was very community driven and it was all about giving back to people here. You know, during COVID, we, we didn't want to encourage anyone to travel. Um, and so we offered it for $4 a night, which everybody's like, are you crazy? So you know, cool. you could make like you know, a hundred times that amount every uh -huh. night wanted to do it. But it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that, you know, when the tourism goes away, when the media stops calling me for interviews, the only thing that's going to keep the doors open is our local community. And we need to remember that. So yeah. we still are very much a part of that. And, you know, that $4 a night was meant for a customer could come in and rent a movie and take it home, or they could come in and rent the whole store and watch whatever they wanted to for one night. And so it was meant to be kind of a fun thing for just locals to say, hey, thanks for all the years of support. That's awesome. And um, that is, that is awesome. we, you know, we've tried to do as many things as we can over the years. And I always give out as many shout outs to the other small businesses in town because, you know, all of our merchandise that we sell online, for example, all of it is acquired through a Bend store, a Bend company. So even if, uh, you know, they're only printing it, if they're still buying it from somewhere else, they're printing it here locally and they're getting paid by me. So, um, you know, I've had lots of people that have told me, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you not just buying it online and getting it for, you know, you know, at least 30% cheaper than what you're paying now. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't bring the money back to Bend. And the whole reason why we're still here is wow. the Bend community. And so I think that people really appreciate that, that we've done that. Yeah. And the fact that I can work for Ken and Debbie who uh, support me on that and are like, no, you're, you're spot on. It's all about community. It's all about taking care of each other that we're able to do those things. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't struggled. That doesn't mean that, you know, saving that 30% on those hoodies wouldn't help my bottom line. It absolutely would. But again, when the tourists stop buying those hoodies, this Ben's what's going to support me. And if I turn my back on Ben and, and just go straight 
push forward to the tourism aspect and become an Airbnb every week and all those things, Bend is going to be like, whatever, you're just another corporate sellout. And I don't want to be that. I want to keep being the small locally owned store we've always been. And the nostalgia is wonderful. I mean, we have people that travel here all the time to see us. And, um, you know, short of working for Disneyland, I don't think that I could work anywhere else that every customer that walks in the door is happy to see me every day. Um, it's a very positive, happy place to work. And right now in this world, I, I don't know that I'd want to leave that. I mean, this is, it's just a very wonderful place to be. You know, you said talk about Disneyland and I think it was in, um, I don't know what year it was, 08 or Sonato 08, a little bit prior to that, when Blockbuster got approval to build an amusement park in Miami, a massive yeah. little park that they were going to build. I mean, the stories that they have uh, uh, is, uh, is insane of what they were doing at one point. But uh, are you guys profitable right now? Is enough business yeah. coming in where you're staying profitable? Okay, that's great. Well, you know, going back, I run a business. I have 16,000, 17,000 insurance agents nationwide. Uh, I'm the CEO and the founder of the company. I do this on the side. It's not what I do full time. What were some innovative campaigns where for you, if you were to say, you know, like McDonald's came out with an innovative campaign called share a Coke and they would put a name on there, Bob, Mary, Jack. Oh my gosh, let me, I'm not even a Coke person. Jack, let me take you to my friend, Bob, let me take you to work. It'd be cool to, to share with them. It's a great campaign that they did, right? You see a lot of different companies that do great campaigns. What are some things you think they could have done at that time with the late fee that would have been a great campaign or even any other campaigns they could have done that maybe would have brought back the customers? Have you, I'm, I'm sure there's been a lot of discussions, a lot of topics, uh, talks about that. What are some things they could have done? Well, I think they could have done more charitable things. And, and I don't know, now I say that, um, but I don't know all the things that they were doing behind the scenes. But all you ever really saw was, oh yeah, they're doing the Oh, they had like an awards, like a blockbuster awards thing, kind of like the Oscars kind of a thing. I mean, not to that level, but I know they had an awards thing. Um, I think you're right about the amusement park. I mean, you always saw these big, huge things they were doing um, for them, and maybe they should have done more for others. And I think that, you know, for us, for example, like the Airbnb thing, you know, we we really supported our local humane society, which is a huge thing for us. And in Central Oregon, we're all about pets and animals and, and all of those things. And um, you know, we try to support as many things, but with late fees, I would love to have seen them, you know, if you're going to keep the, the late fees that you are, maybe say for every, you know, dollar we get for late fees, we're giving a dollar to a local charity. I mean, I think that a lot of times you got to focus on your communities that you're in. And I mean, even, um, you know, I've worked for lots of different businesses too, and, and done different things over the years. And I find that if you focus more on the on the local aspect and the person that's in your business at that time, and you're focused on that person and not so much about what's happening outside, it's going to bring back tenfold. And I mean, I, I talk about the first week we became the last one in America. I remember I had a customer, you know, we were super busy. We were not expecting that. We, we had no, uh, you know, I was in the parking lot across the street. Um, my son had been in a fender bender and I was talking to a police officer when USA Today called me and I had no idea that this was coming. And I remember being in our store and, wow. and we were super busy and we were helping customers. And I can't remember if it was the New York Times or the Washington Post, but one of them called and they were on the phone and they're like, oh my God, it's the New York Times. And I was like, okay, well, I've got a customer in front of me. And the customer's like, but it's the New York Times. I'm like, but you're a paying customer and you're the reason I'm here. I'm like, the New York Times can wait. Let me, let me check you out. And then, and everybody was shocked that I did that. And I'm like, no, it's like, you know, I think it's exciting and it's fun. And I'm so happy to be on all these programs. 
But the bottom line is that customer in front of me is what's paying my wage. That's what's keeping my doors open. And if I lose that, and if I lose that attention to my local customers, then we're not going to be here for another, you know, 20 years. I mean, we have to stay focused on that. And so I think sometimes in the corporate world, that gets forgotten. And I think if they had maybe paid more attention to those things, you know, allowed their employees, like we, we do fun stuff. You know, we have an employee pick section and we do, we have a, a barbecue that we do every year and we were doing it in my, um, my backyard, but last year we actually did it at the store because there were so many ex-employees that were coming That's and great. it was so fun. That's and, great. you know, we do more of those kind of things that are more focused on it. And, you know, I'm known as the blockbuster mom. And unfortunately now I'm starting to be known as the blockbuster grandma, which I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not here. Sure. I've got my own grandkids. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. But I, I really think that that's important to be a part of that. And I, I know I'm probably from an HR manager standpoint, probably their biggest nightmare because, you know, I love my employees. I love my customers. This is my family, yeah. how I operate the business every day. And I think if more businesses treated things like a small business, they would be more successful. If they kept track of what's happening right now in my store today, what's happening and not worry yeah. about what might happen tomorrow and focus on the here and now. I mean, and that's, they train us like that for our, our personal lives, right? It's all about being mindful. It's all about, you know, you gotta be mindful of your situation be mindful of what's happening now and not do yeah. the what ifs. And I mean, you have to do some of those as a business owner, you have to, you know, you have to know your cash flow is good. You of have course. to know that you have to plan for those things, but when it comes to customers, you have to focus on here and now every customer that leaves my business unhappy, that doesn't find, if I can't find a movie for them to watch, even if I don't have that new release on the shelf, I need to be out there helping them find something else so that they leave happy. Um, I think, yeah. And that's yeah. a great point. And by the way, you, 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 I think you're still uh, the blockbuster mom. I think grandma, you, uh, I know your age because I research you. We're, we're on this, we're a couple years apart. So you're, if you're a grandma, then I'm a grandpa. I'm not ready to be grandpa. So we're going to stay moms and dads oh, that sounds good. for now. Yeah. But, you know, you, you make such a great point. I, I you know, sometimes you, when you, 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 when you interview people, we have a lot of guests and we've had, you know, Mark Cuban, oh my gosh, you know, he's worth $4 billion or Chip Olson worth 4 billion. He started uh, Lululemon. It's like, oh, I'd love to be a billionaire. But very rarely do you, are you able to learn from a franchise, 84,000 employees, 9,000 stores, 4,500 in America. This was a brand that was all over the place for it to go from there to a fall. What happened? There's a lot of good things you're talking about here with us, but a question for you with the pattern of customers today. Do you notice a pattern with customers? Age, uh, are they a little quirky? Are they chippy? What do you notice? Like, what is common about all the customers? Because it's DVDs. It's not like, I mean, they have to still have a DVD. I don't even, I don't even know if I have a DVD. Do you have a DVD player at your house? I don't even know if I have a DVD player at my house. So if I come to you, I almost have to have a DVD player at my house. So what are some of the patterns of customers you're having right now? Well, and, and absolutely. We have a little bit of everything. And, and there for a while, I mean, we definitely, the niche was the older customers. I mean, okay. when we were struggling, when the whole company was going under and everybody was struggling, I, I, I know we definitely had a lot more older customers. And, and that makes sense because I can tell you from having, you know, 20 something children <laughs> that they're all about the newest technology. We kind of talked about that a little bit ago. And, uh, you know, we have Netflix at home and I think my son. Wait, did you say 20 something children? Oh yes. My children. Yes. My youngest will be 20 next month. So it's, it's kind of scary, but my children are all in their twenties. My daughter will be 30 in December. So it's kind of scary, 
Um, so see, now you're now you're definitely aging me here. <laughs> you, you did it to yourself. Don't put it on me. I, I, I... <laughs> but no, you know, having the those them at home. I mean, we do. Again, you know, we have Netflix at home, and and I know my son has Hulu, and and you know, we have different streaming services, and and I I think that you know you have to keep you have to let know that that's going to be the case. You know, everybody's always like, oh, how do you compete with those things? And I, I know I'm a little off the topic of what you asked me, but you can't really compete with that. I mean, that is going to be what it's going to be. I mean, but the thing is, is that instead of trying to compete, you just embrace the fact that it's there and say, okay, well, these customers have Netflix at home, but what do I have that Netflix doesn't have? Well, I have a library here of over 25,000 movies on my shelves. And, you know, and, and it may not be 25 different titles, but I have 25,000 movies on the shelf, which by the way, I didn't know that till COVID and we did a full inventory. I thought we had closer to like 18, 19, but, um, you know, we still have a, a very large amount of movies. Netflix, you know, they can, um, I'm sure you saw our billboard where we had the called rhythm billboard. So I'm like, okay, what can we do that Netflix can't do? Well, we can give that personal touch to people. We can, you know, they would have to go to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, um, gosh, all the different streaming services, they'd have to have all of those at home to have the same library that I have here. So rather than focusing on what, you know, what Netflix has, let's focus on what they don't have. They don't have the variety that I have in the store. So that was one of the things that we kept doing. We have a, a suggestion list for customers. And if I don't have the movie, they tell us what movie they would like for me to see. I search it. Now I don't buy every single movie because as an, as a company, I can't. I mean, if I, if I research something, it's $30. Well, that doesn't make any sense for me to bring that title into the store. Even one customer rents it, I'm paying $30 for, you know, two bucks, somebody rents it. I'm not going to make my money back. So I, I need to make sure that I'm, yeah. I'm purchasing things that'll be beneficial for the store long-term. So there are some times when I have to say no, but customers understand that. And I explain it to them, be like, you know, unfortunately it's too much. I can't afford to buy that movie. And Very then a lot of times that customer like, well, I'll buy it and I'll just donate it to you. So I can't tell you how many times... Oh no, I do. We have people donating movies every day. So they'll buy it and they'll watch it and then they'll donate it back because that part of that is that honesty thing that I have with my customers. They know that if I can do it, I will do it. If I can't, then I'm going to tell them I can't and here's why. And I think that it's that relationship that we've built with our customers that has come back. And part of it was having that older generation during that, that struggling period where they appreciated good service. They appreciated my willingness to go out of my way to help them. And they knew that they could always count on me for my honesty. And I think that the older generation really counted on that. And then, and we really kind of fostered um, a really good working relationship with those customers. Um, and then now with the nostalgia piece, we're seeing all those families come back and it's kind of come full circle. People, you know, they might still, like I said, have Netflix and Hulu and everything else at home, Amazon and Apple and Disney plus and everything else that's out there. But what they don't have is they don't have that opportunity to get out of their house, to come to Blockbuster with their kids, something they did with their family when they were younger, and have a, just an afternoon where they can go pick a movie. And they can actually, their kids can touch it. It's tangible. They love coming in and picking it up and carrying it around. Something you don't get on Netflix. Hmm. I mean, we talked about that with our algorithm. You can go on there and, and you know, I know on, on Netflix and I know yesterday I was looking at something and I didn't realize on under my husband's name instead of my name. And he watches every reality show possible. And I'm like, why are all these reality shows on mine? I don't watch those. I mean, it's great that they have their algorithm. So they'll tell you what you yeah. want, but maybe tonight I do want to watch that. Now I've got to go past all the other crap. I got to remember what I'm on that page. I got to search it where I can just come in here and walk over to the documentaries and pick up a documentary. 
And that's something that we just had to make sure that we focused on what we do have and not what we don't. So. Yeah, that's very uh, that's uh, very uh, powerful because that's what what choice do you have? What can you do? You can sit there and talk about what you don't have, and it's going to drive you insane. There's no way you're going to compete with them directly in that area. I remember family video. I remember Hollywood video. But I was a even today I forgot. Is it video 2020 or 2020 video? I don't know if if you remember 2020 video. It was a spot in L.A. We'd go rent and. You know, that was my spot. And obviously, yeah. they're no longer in business. But we was Blockbuster, was Warehouse. Totally forgot <laughs> about Warehouse. It was Warehouse, Blockbuster, and it was uh, Video 2020. So what, 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 is Dish Net, what is Dish's plan with Blockbuster? I mean, they bought them out of bankruptcy. Do, do they tell you what they want to do? do? Do they have any idea? They just bought it just to buy it. Yeah, and I think they probably at one point had plans of some things they wanted to do. I don't think they intended to just close all the stores. I think, unfortunately, by the time they got it, it was just in so much trouble. There really wasn't much they could do with it. Um, you know, and I, I know that they have, you know, a small amount of licensees um, that people that use the name. And I think that that's definitely interest and that has grown since we became the last one. And and I it, uh, it's kind of a sad, it's kind of a I don't know, probably because I am so loyal and it frustrates when we, when other people try to take advantage of that situation. But I know even when we were setting up our website, you know, we had done um, Blockbuster Bend on everything and we ended up having to do, and I, I'm going to get this backwards and my son will laugh at me because he's the one that designed the website with another old manager that we had, but um, <laughs> we went to, to do it and we had set up our Facebook and we set up Twitter and we set up our Instagram one way and we went to do our, our website and someone else had already bought it and opened it up and had a page, a web page that looked exactly like us, representing it as if it was us. And I'm like, what are these people doing? I'm like, I get it. It's an opportunity for you to get your 15 minutes. It's an opportunity for you to make money. And I know that. And I know that's what people are driven by that. And, and I am, have no problem with entrepreneurs doing you know, what they need to do to, to have that American dream. But I'm like, seriously? <laughs> I'm like, so, And I knew that their intention was for us to buy that from them. Well, we are not in a position to do that. So we just had to tweak it and make it something else and just keep going forward. I mean, I couldn't dwell on it. It wasn't something I was going to have to worry about. It just is what it is. And we just move forward. But, you know, I, I don't know that Dish um, has big plans for the Blockbuster name. I know that there's certainly people who have called me up and wanted to do open up their own franchise or open up their own store. And I, I kind of laugh. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Right now we're pretty popular and, and people are coming in renting movies, but I don't think you realize what it was going to take to get your library of 20,000 movies. Um, I don't think you realize, you know, what it takes to actually operate a brick and mortar business. You, it's not just go open up a store and you're going to become instantly successful. And I think that part of the reason we're still here is we have the nostalgia piece we have those loyal people that want to come in and support us. I don't know if there was 20 stores left that we would be doing as well as we're doing right now. I don't know if someone popped up one all of a sudden in LA that it's going to do really well because you're right. Most people don't have DVD players and they come in and they see us and they support us because they know that we're, you know, not going to be here forever and they want us to last as long as we can. And that's just the reality of it. And I think that people sometimes forget. I saw a posting today about family home video um, which is big in the Midwest. You had mentioned them earlier. Mm -hmm, but I mm -hmm. think that they're getting ready to close some stores. And part of that is because they're struggling right now. And then like every other small business across America, everybody's struggling with COVID and, and the reality of the situations that people have. And, and I think sometimes people forget that, you know, right now what we have is unique and cool and, and great because we're 
we're on our own and we're the last one. And so we have all these awesome things that are happening out there for us. But I don't know that that would be the case if they started popping up blockbusters everywhere. I think unless somebody was really smart about how they did it, um, I don't know that that would be super successful. And I mean, we can look back and be like, oh man, what the heck were Blockbuster thinking when they bought, what was it, Paramount or Universal or one of the big, you know, they, uh, was it Viacom, I think that bought part of that. Um, and they, you know, started uh, funding that um, studio with money from Blockbuster and it really got it up and going. Well, you know, that was great, but how could they not know that that was going to kill Blockbuster? I mean, you can't, you can't take all the money out of one business and push it off into another one without hurting them both. I mean, any smart business person knows that if you've got one dying business and you're funding it from the other successful business, eventually you're going to have two dying businesses if you're not careful. So you have to really be smart about it um, and make smarter decisions. And I don't know, I, I'm just a, a manager here. So I'm like, again, you're more than a manager. I mean, you're more than a manager. If the, this doesn't work out for you, you could easily be, be a consultant for a lot of companies, but, uh, oh. but the, uh, did you say blockbuster.com is owned by somebody else, not Blockbuster? Is, is that? So no, um, the, our website. So oh, the your website. Com, I got it. Yeah, okay. the blockbuster.com is definitely still Dish Network. Okay. Um, they got have it. that name. Um, but it. when we were trying to do our own website and we were doing the Blockbuster Bend. That um, makes sense. Somebody okay. had that already. Uh, yes. By the way, on your Twitter account, what was really cool is uh, on August 11th, you know this already, yep. uh, Blockbuster decides to send a tweet and they said, hey, just checking in. And it got yep. 954,000 likes, yeah. 141,000 retweets. And, and think, a few hours later, they said, okay, we've seen enough checking out. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, uh, it was definitely funny that Dish did that. I think um, that was right at the same time we were talking about the Airbnb stuff. Uh -huh. And so I kind of rolled it out the same day and I thought that was great. Um, did you yeah, get bombarded when that happened? Or did you like, did you get a bunch of calls, customers, people coming in? Oh, did yeah. you did you notice the the traffic or no? Yeah, no, we definitely did. And we definitely heard a lot of people from it. Um, every time that something like that happens, we get a lot of phone calls. You know, That's when cool. uh, uh, Captain Marvel had, you know, her, you know, breaking into a blockbuster. I can't tell you how many people were calling me going, oh, my God, is that your store? And I'm like, no, that's not our store. Disney <laughs> didn't call me. I'm sorry. I didn't let anybody smash into my store. Um, but now anytime anything like that happens, we get a lot of phone calls. Well, listen, I just wanted to... Uh, uh, share this story because I think there are so many things all of us can learn from this, but it's also, uh, uh, it takes a very special person to be you. I don't think it's everybody's job to be you. And uh, in a way, it's very obvious you, Ken and Debbie have a very, very great, uh, good relationship together. Yeah. Props to them as owners to be able to keep someone like you and be loyal and uh, for you to do your part and care about the profits as much as the customers where you become somebody that the owners can just trust to run the place and operate the place. It's tough to find people like you out there. It's, it's a, uh, you're uh, you're very, very hard to find and you're very, very valuable to a business owner. And uh, Sandy, I just wanted to tell you, I appreciate you for taking the time for being a guest here and I'll give you the final words. Anything else you want to say to the viewers here before we wrap up? Take care of your small business, take care of your small businesses in your community um, because they all need lots of love and support right now to keep them open. True. Just don't forget local. Buy local whenever you have a chance. Sandy, you're amazing. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. You know, many times we sit there and we talk to people who are billionaires on how they made their billions, how they became millionaires, how did you become successful? I mean, you only think about all the things they did right, and you don't get the blind spots, right? And then you sit down with somebody 
like Sandy, who's a manager of the only blockbuster remaining, and she's been there since 2004, and you learn so much more about what to do to make sure your company never fails. Mind-boggling how this interview was with Sandy. It was amazing for somebody like me that's an operator. I run a company to see what things she had to talk about, that they try to focus on all their customers were not happy by doing so. They lost the customers that were happy. Uh, what do you do to keep your loyal customers? You're still going. They still want you to do this. And then all of a sudden, you lose everybody. So it was, uh, it was intense. It was a, a, a very, very good message for any entrepreneur and business owner to listen to. I got another video I want you to watch if you got a lot of the, this sit-down here. Uh, I sat down with Patty McCord. Patty McCord is the former chief talent officer of Netflix. She was with Reed Hastings for 14 years, and she talks about how they operated the company, how they recruited people, how they hired people, how they fired people, what their culture did to get them to where they're at today of $150, $200 billion company, and to go from a company that was irrelevant. She even talks about a story when they went into a room and you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we just crossed a million customers. And Reed's like, awesome, you guys can celebrate, but I'm off to five million. She tells all these stories. If you've not watched that interview, it's a powerful one. Click over here to watch that interview. And if you've not subscribed to the channel, please do so. Thanks for watching, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.